I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Deuteronomy chapters 32 through 34. We're ending Deuteronomy, and we'll also be reading Psalm 91. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, we have the Song of Moses that was referenced back in chapter 31, the one that God told him to write. So we see Moses' song, but it's not a very cheerful song, in verses 1 through 43. Here are the words to the song that God told Moses to write back in chapter 31, verses 19 to 21. It's a rather long song and a very important song with a big ending. It's a song that tells a story and issues a warning. On this day, Moses seems to have introduced the writing technique that country music songwriters would use centuries later, and it's the story song. Since this is a long song, we're going to divide it up with some brief explanations regarding content. In verses 1 and 2, Moses begins with, everybody listen up, verse 1. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb, and as showers on the grass. And then in verses 3 through 6, we see that he is a rock. This is the first time, by the way, that God is called a rock in Scripture. Verse 3. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. They have corrupted themselves, they are not his children because of their blemish. A perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? And then in verses 7 through 14, the next verses that we'll read here, Moses gives particular instances of God's kindness and concern for the people of Israel. Verse 7, Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask your father and he will show you, your elders and they will tell you, when the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, and in the wasteland a howling wilderness. He encircled him, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him. And there was no foreign god with him. He made him ride in the heights of the earth, that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock, and oil from the flinty rock, curds from the cattle and milk of the flock, with fat of lambs, and rams of the breed of Bashan, and goats with the choicest wheat. And you drank wine, the blood of the grapes. In verses 15 through 18, we find two instances of the wickedness of Israel. Each was apostasy away from God. Jeshurun here is another name for Israel, meaning upright people. 
we find Jeshurun in verses 15, and then in chapter 33, verse 5 and 26, and also in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 2. Verse 15, But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick, you are obese. Then he forsook God who made him, and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods, with abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, to new gods, new rivals that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful, and have forgotten the God who fathered you. And then in verses 19 to 25, we see they they move God to anger, and that's not good. Verse 19, And when the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation, for a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will reap disasters on them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger, devoured by pestilence and bitter destruction. I will also send against them the teeth of beasts with the poison of serpents of the dust. The sword shall destroy outside. There shall be terror within for the young man and virgin, the nursing child with a man of gray hairs. In verses 26 through 38, we see that the idolatry and rebellions cause God to respond. Verse 26, I would have said, I will dash them in pieces. I will make the memory of them to cease from among men, had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, Our hand is high, and it is not the Lord who has done all this, for they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them? For their rock is not like our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of cobras. Is this not laid up in store with me, sealed up among my treasures? Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining, bond or free. He will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise and help you and be your refuge. And then in verses 39 to 43, we have a chorus of God is awesome. Verse 39, Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. For I raise my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. 
I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the heads of the leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. Well, there you have it. As Moses is getting ready to leave them, he pens these words with the hopes that Israel will stay faithful to God. However, he's already received word from God that they won't stay faithful. Introduced over the last three chapters, beginning with Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 22. Those chapters are complete, including the consequences of rebellion against God. Putting the whole thing into a song, like we've seen in these first 43 verses of chapter 32, well, that's just another step to help Israel maintain their resolve for God. And then Moses gets some bad news in verses 44 to 52. Again, verse 44. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up this mountain of Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho. View the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die on the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people, just as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor, and was gathered to his people. Because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen, because you did not hallow me in the midst of the children of Israel. Yet you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. So here's the confirmation. No Canaan land for you, Moses. Of course, he already knew that from Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. It was on that occasion that Moses struck the rock with his rod in disobedience to the command of God to just speak to the rock instead. God told him at that time that he would not be entering Canaan, so the decree here in verses 50 to 52, well, that's just a repeat from earlier. Moses, it says, is to be gathered to his people. That's a term reflecting the Hebrews' knowledge of eternal life. Now, we find that, uh, that terminology several places in the Old Testament. We find it said of Abraham that he was gathered to his people in, in Genesis 25.8, and then Ishmael in 25.17, and then Isaac in 35.29, and then Jacob in 49.33, and then over to Numbers, Aaron shall be gathered to his people in Numbers chapter 20, verse 24, and again it's mentioned that he would be gathered to his people in Numbers chapter 20, verse 26. So here Moses is to die on the mountain, and there he is to be gathered to his people, just as the others were. He does get a view of the place, though, from atop Mount Nebo in the mountain range known as Abarim in Moab. Moses actually had rehearsed this point previously in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. You'll notice a reference to Jeshurun in chapter 32, verse 15, and then again we'll see it in chapter 33, verse 5, and verse 26. It's also found in Isaiah 44, 2, with a slight deviation in spelling. Jeshurun is a poetical name for the people of Israel used in token of affection 
meaning the dear, upright people. And then it's time for blessing in Deuteronomy chapter 33. So just as Jacob had blessed the tribes of Israel in Genesis chapter 49, Moses does it again here just prior to his death. So we have an introduction to the blessings in the first five verses of Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1. Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousand of his saints. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob. And he was king in Jeshurun when the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. So then we have the blessing upon Reuben in verse 6. Let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few. And then Judah in verse 7. And this he said of Judah, Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and may you be a help against his enemies. Then Levi in verses 8 through 11. And of Levi he said, Let your thummim and your urim be with your holy one, whom you tested at Massa, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children. For they have observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him that they rise not again." And then we have the blessing to Benjamin in verse 12. Of Benjamin, he said, The beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him, who shelters him all the day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. And then we have the blessing of Joseph for Ephraim and Manasseh in verse 13 down through verse 17. And of Joseph, he said, Blessed of the Lord is his land, with the precious things of heaven, with the dew and the deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Let the blessing come on the head of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. His glory is like a firstborn bull." And his horns like the horns of the wild ox, together with them he shall push the peoples to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. And then we have the blessing of Zebulun and Issachar together in verse 18 and 19. And of Zebulun he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. They shall call the peoples to the mountain, there they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, for they shall partake of the abundance of the seas and of treasures hidden in the sand. And then the blessing of Gad in verses 20 and 21. And of Gad he said, Blessed is he who enlarges Gad. He dwells as a lion and tears the arm and the crown of his head. He provided the first part for himself because the lawgiver's portion was reserved there. 
He came with the heads of the people. He administered the justice of the Lord and his judgments with Israel. The blessing of Dan is seen in verse 22. And of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's wealth. He shall leap from Bashan. And then Naphtali in verse 23. And of Naphtali, he said, O Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, possess the west and the south. In verses 24 and 25, we find the blessing of Asher. And of Asher, he said, Asher is the most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. Your sandals shall be iron and bronze as your days, so shall your strength be. Then we have the conclusion of the blessings in verses 26 through 29. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you and in his excellency on the clouds. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, Destroy. Then Israel shall dwell in safety, the fountain of Jacob alone. In a land of grain and new wine, his heavens shall also drop dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you, and you shall tread down their high places." Hey, um, by the way, where's Simeon in these blessings? Well, as a matter of fact, the tribe of Simeon gets swallowed up into the tribe of Judah when they reach Canaan. Their inheritance is contained within the boundaries of Judah. Later on, they seem to disappear altogether. Remember that attempt to overthrow the theocracy in lieu of a democracy back in Numbers chapter 16? Well, the tribes on the south side of the tabernacle, and Simeon was one of those tribes, they took a big population hit as a result. When the census is taken at the end of the 40 years, their numbers have diminished by nearly two-thirds. If you'd like to see the population chart of the tribes, look at the notes on Numbers chapter 26. Now, here we are at the end of the 40 years, and they're the smallest tribe of Israel with just 22,200 men. And to make things worse, they don't even get mentioned in the blessings of Moses here in this chapter. And then in chapter 34, Moses gets a 30-day send-off, verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali in the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, 
before all his servants and in all his land. And by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Well, Moses' time has here arrived. He ascends to the top of Pisgah and looks over the new homeland. God assures him and says, I will give it to your descendants in verse 4. Then Moses dies in verse 5. Verse 6 says, And he buried him. Now, who's the he in that verse? Well, all indications are that God himself buried Moses. The fact that no one knows his grave to this day, that would indicate that to be the case, of course. Moses' trusted assistant Joshua undoubtedly had a hand in the completion of the book of Deuteronomy. He probably had a hand in Genesis through Numbers as well. So Moses was frail anyway, right? Well, look at verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. Everyone should be so useful between the ages of 80 and 120, like Moses. God took his life at the ripe old age of 120 after his mission was complete. This was no surprise to Moses. He first got the word back in Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, where it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Verse 8 says, They wept and mourned his death for thirty days. Now it's Joshua's turn. Notice the legacy of Moses in verses 10 through 12. Here's what it says. But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, and all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land, and by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Joshua had been Moses' right-hand man since the beginning, right out of Egypt. He's ready for the big assignment here. We see in verse 9, it says, Now Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him, and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses is established as unique before God in verse 10 when it says, But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. This unique means of communication with God was experienced by no one else in the Old Testament, just Moses. We see it explained in more detail in Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 23. And then in today's reading, we have Psalm 91. This is a psalm magnifying God's protection for those who trust him. While not stated, this psalm was probably written by Moses as well. It seems very similar to Psalm 90, which is definitely attributed to Moses. Let's read it. Verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look, 
and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now this again seems to be a psalm, although not identified definitely. This seems to be a psalm by Moses. And it's very similar to Psalm 90. An interesting point is worth mentioning here. Satan actually quoted verses 11 and 12 from this passage to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 6, as he was tempting him. Isn't it interesting that one of the ploys of Satan is even to quote Scripture out of context in order to make a point? This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.